Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello, good afternoon, my name is Roy Taylor and welcome to Freedom of Species. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio programme dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly, appreciation. We are broadcasting from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, streamed live via the 3CR website with podcasts available on the 3CR and Freedom of Species website, that's freedomofspecies.org. And previous podcasts are available on iTunes. And in today's show, we have a guest. We've got Andy Medic from the Animal Justice Party. Hi, Andy. Hi, Roy. How are you, mate? I'm a bit jet-lagged. I've been over in the UK. So um, I came back just in time to do a load of letterboxing for the AJP. Mate, that's a tremendous effort. <laughs> well... I couldn't sleep anyway when I had jet lag, so I might as well do some letterboxing late at night. Well, that's it. You may as well be productive. <laughs> One thing that I found letterboxing late at night is really hard to find the letterboxes sometimes. Oh, yes. If you, yeah. Did you do many of them? I did quite a few down in our area, yes, and, and, and you're right. Um, you do tend to lose track of time, though. You think you've got that bundle in your hand. You think, I'll just get this out of the way, and then suddenly it's dark, and you're going, okay, well, you know, maybe I should start heading home. One thing that I was doing, I did letterboxing on three different occasions. Where I know we're rambling now, and we really should introduce the whole show, but I did letterboxing on three nights. And on each occasion, I attempted to give out my big stack of leaflets and then aim with just enough left for the journey home, going a different route to get the letterboxes on the way home. But I never managed. That's a really good plan. It's always frustrating when you go, okay, I've got a plan. I've just got enough to get me home walking a different route and letterboxing those. And I found that I gave them out and then I had this long walk home with no leaflets to give out. That was very infuriating. Uh, yeah, I think we're all in that sort of thing. <laughs> so, as well as chatting about the election today, we've actually got a pre-recorded talk um, that was given at an Animal Justice Party event uh, be about two months ago now. We've already broadcast one of the talks, that was from Andrew Knights, which was broadcast on the show two weeks ago. And today we've got about uh, about 20 minutes, half an hour, of Jasmine Dabu, who holds the position, I think it's CEO, of the Vegan Society in the UK. And before that she was involved in a UK political party for protection of animals. And so we've got a recording of that talk where she's going to be talking about the political work she's done and her work with the Vegan Society. We'll go to that in maybe um, 20 minutes or so. Uh, But before we do that, we'll just go to a uh, community announcement, and then maybe let's chat chat about the election, Andy, yeah? 
Excellent. Great. This is Lawrence Pope, Victorian Advocates for Animals. You know, it doesn't matter where I am, around Australia or across the globe, people ask me the same question. Why don't we have programs like 3CR's Freedom of Species? Why don't we have independent radio? Not radio that's a puppet of the millionaires and the billionaires, but radio that reflects the real concerns of people like you, the very salt of this great country, from Warrnambool to Wonthaggy, from Malakuta to Cootamundra, 3CR, they're kind of cats, they're for the bats, that's independent radio, that's freedom of species, not the enslavement of species, I said the freedom of species. You know what to do, donate to independent radio and warm your heart while you're cooling the planet. This is Lawrence Pope of Victorian Advocates for Animals and 3CR, wishing your species all the best. So, as I said a minute ago, I've actually been over in Europe, and uh, talking Europe was mainly concerned with uh, the Brexit vote more than anything else and all the outcome from that. So I've come back to Australia actually not knowing about much that happened in the run-up to the election and not had much chance to review it. So, Andy, give me a review from an animal advocate point of view of the recent election in Australia. What's your thoughts? Well, the way I'm sort of viewing it is obviously um, very coloured from a Victorian perspective. Um, The interesting thing that I found was that uh, Malcolm Turnbull went to a double dissolution based on an industrial relations agenda. He couldn't get the ABCC legislation and the registered organisations bills through, so called an election based on that, and then that went out the window and everything else came into it. Now, we tried to obviously focus everything on animal-based issues here in Victoria because that's what we do as a party, but we were largely overshadowed by the CFA dispute, which it it dominated everything, and and consequently we saw a lot of results in seats based upon that, Um, particularly in the seat where I am, which was Karangamite, but also across the board in other areas as well. It dominated the news, everything. Um, Apart from that, though, we have had a really, really strong showing in the Senate in here in Victoria, um, Bruce Poon and Jackie Edgecombe. Now, to this point, and we don't expect to know the result, uh, the ASC is saying they're not expected to finalise the result of the Senate for at least another three weeks because there's a lot of postal votes, there's a lot of absentee votes and a lot of pre-polling involved, and they traditionally get counted second. They try to ascertain who is going to form government first and then you know, they, we get a, a minor indication of what's going on in the Senate initially and then they finalise that over a few weeks afterwards. But we currently have um, over 40,000 votes in the Senate in Victoria, and I note that Anthony Green um, had a couple of days ago on his website and on the ABC website that he actually expects the final or 12th Senate seat in Victoria to fall to either the Animal Justice Party or the Sex Party. Now, currently we were ahead of the Sex Party, so we're sitting here with our fingers crossed and legs crossed and, and everything else, that that is actually what happens because we obviously want to give the animals a strong voice in the Senate in what will be an even more divided Senate than what we had before the election. Now, when we have a single dissolution in the Senate where a single half of the Senate is dissolved to so a normal election, the quota is up over 5%. When you have a double dissolution, that came down to this time around about 27 and we're currently sitting on 2.139, so we're getting close. Um, it will literally come down to preferences to what people have done under the new voting system in the Senate to get us across the line. Wow. This is quite remarkable. And the sex party's been around 
A bit longer, hasn't it? A fair bit longer than we have, yes, yes. Look, it is worth noting that we are a very young party by comparison to several of the other parties that are around. Um, When you look at the Greens, for instance, you know, they've been around a long time now and they've had time to build a really strong support base and and, and to refine their policies and and make sure that they appeal to, to a very large spectrum of the community. You know, we're still... While we have very, very strong animal policies, um, and and we're looking at those all the time, and how do we strengthen them? How do we how do we make them um, better advocacy for animals? Um, you know, we need to start looking at some other things as well, and we will do that over time. We will evolve as a party the longer we're around, and. What we're hoping is that we're sooner rather than later we're in a position to make a real difference for animals through Parliament. Yeah, if I mean if if this happened and the AJP got a Senate seat, it would be remarkable. It would, it would really be remarkable, extraordinary. And I don't think people understand how extraordinary that is when you consider how few animal representatives there are in parliaments around the world. Yeah. You know, it would just be an extraordinary achievement. Uh, well, Mark Pearson's still in the New South Wales Parliament, isn't he? That's right, Upper House, yes. So if we got Upper House in New South Wales and and the federal government, that would be fantastic. Absolutely, because it, look, at the end of the day, the people who are involved with the Animal Justice Party, we're not politicians. Uh, I say we, and, and I'm talking from an animal advocate. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. You know, we're not professional politicians uh, we're, we're people who are animal advocates yeah. who, by and large uh, first and foremost and we're involved in this to put their case forward yeah so, so to be able to get there and actually do that and most of the people working doing ajp work are involved in other animal campaigns as well absolutely as well as full-time jobs of absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah everything's part-time yeah uh, and, and often the advocacy is it's sometimes a second project mm. yeah Yep. People have got their own campaigns and then join in AJP stuff. That's right. Yep. Wow, that would be fantastic. Mm, very much so. I'm really excited about it, the prospect of when, it. When could we find out about that? I really don't think... I mean, I'd love it to be tomorrow, but I, I really don't think it'll be for at least another couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah there's a lot, of, a lot of votes for them to troll through. Now, and we two, had two candidates... The AJP had two candidates. In the Senate, yeah. Bruce yes. Poone, who was the lead candidate. So it would be Bruce in that yes, case. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, and Jackie Edgecombe. For Jackie to get in, that would require the AJP getting two seats. Is that how it works? That's if right. You get two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But having, having enough in the quota of the votes to, to, to satisfy the fact that we have one clear candidate get in and then having enough votes left over for a second so with a single Senate candidate, what would that really mean with one one senator out of all the potential senators all, all the senators in the house what would one what would difference would one make? Well, it potentially could make a huge difference given that the Senate is going to be more disparate than it even was before we're at a point now where if whoever wins government, whatever legislation that they want to get through, they're now going to be in a position where they have to negotiate with a vast array of different senators from different backgrounds. And satisfy um, the requirements that those senators have that they've been elected on, the platforms they've been elected on. So they're going to want a lot from whoever forms government. And it's yeah. looking at this stage that that will be um, the coalition. 
But the coalition has a very clear agenda on what they want to accomplish. And in order to get that through the Senate, then they're going to negotiate like hell. That gives us a very strong position. Um, now they have to negotiate with quite. Would have to negotiate with quite a disparate range. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and that then will require. Because who have we got? Who's been decided that they're in the Senate? So well, you have the Hinch Party as well. You've got Darren Hinch. You've got you. You have, you've you, have, Hinch, got... you, you have um, some Greens. Yeah. Um, a couple of Independents there. Nick Xenophon's back uh, through. Jackie. Um, Jackie Lammy's Lambie. back in. Yeah. Um, so you've got quite a, a big bunch of people there from different backgrounds and what they want to achieve. And it will also see on, on a sub-level there a lot of negotiation between those senators themselves. Of course. And, and, and what deals you know that they would want to do where they can stick together and present a united block on a particular issue. Now, I don't know what the other senators have said from an annual point of view, but I believe I read somewhere that Darren Hinch had some views on live exports. Oh, yeah, he's, he is very much in favour of a ban on live export. Right. That's a, a great statement in and, in and of itself, and it's wonderful to know that he is behind that because, yeah. because we are. But we, you need to have a plan on what that looks like. Yeah, it's one thing to say you're against it, but how much are you against it? Is it a core thing that you hold as part of your identity and, and are a value that you really wouldn't want to trade away? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and this is... I, I, in my opinion, it's a wonderful thing that Darren actually has been has been elected because we all know what his stances have been on on other social justice issues, for instance, for a number of years. Yeah. Um, but we also know that he has been against other things like 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 different animal issues. He has been against live export. He has been against puppy farms. He has been against duck shooting. All these sorts of things. So that's that's great to know that. Should we actually get? A senator in that we potentially have already an ally. A, an ally. Yeah. Yep. Great. You don't know about any of the other senators. Um, look, it's very difficult in that respect. No. It, look, yeah. they've been quite quiet on, on where they stand on animal issues. Yeah. I yeah. think there's been the odd statement here and there, but it's just been a single statement, perhaps. And I'm only guessing there. Nothing that actually sticks in the memory about, say, for instance, Jackie Lammy, where she might stand on. On different things, I know that she is against the Geelong Star Super Trawler because she's a Tasmanian senator, right? So that's one thing where we would have, you know, an alignment there. That's, yeah. that's something that we have. You know, AJP has a policy on Super Trawlers yeah. that, that we don't want them, of course. You know, and, yeah. and I know that she is against them as well. Yeah, um, it's a question of maybe well, for different reasons, but yes, absolutely. Yeah, she obviously wants to protect the um, the local commercial fishing industry. Yeah, um, and and but how far can you take that in an alignment in a voting block? That's another question. Yeah, so interesting, interesting times. Very, very. So and but, very interesting in New South Wales as well this week. Oh, I. I, I must admit, uh, when I heard the news, I was at work and it looked very strange for me to be up on a scaffold at 30 floors in the air doing a happy dance. <laughs> so for those that have been under a rock for the last week, those animal advocates that have been under a rock for the last week, tell us the news. Well, Mike Baird, um, in the wake of... Uh, Who is? He is the Premier of New South Wales. Okay. The commissioned uh, an inquiry um, by the uh, by a chap I think his name is Brian McHugh I know his last name is McHugh but his first name escapes me at the minute um, to look into uh, all of the allegations and the footage surrounding the live baiting issue to begin with um, systemic uh, problems within the greyhound industry in New South Wales and he came back with quite an extensive report which which had um, a, a raft of recommendations on how the industry should change. 
but, and here's the big but, it was prefaced by um, a number of paragraphs that basically concluded that the industry itself was incapable of making these changes because it didn't want to. It was resistant to any change and resistant to any outside interference in bringing it up to what perhaps community expectation might be. Now, Mike Baird has been... He's taken that statement, all those paragraphs, and then he's read the will or the will uh, the, the mood of the people in that the bulk of people in the community want greyhound racing shut down. And he has gone out on a limb and gone, well, that's it. It's gone. So from July 1st, 2017... In New South Wales, and I might also note that the ACT have also come on board with this on the same time frame, I believe, Greyhound Racing will be shut down in New South Wales and the ACT. Wow. It is extraordinary. And brilliant. It is, it is brilliant because, I mean, when we look at the, the systemic problems that exist within the Greyhound industry, I mean, for, for, for the, from a beginning, from a standpoint, we're talking about an industry that seeks to exploit beautiful, loving animals for a bet, for a dollar. Yeah. And and those that don't make the grade because they're too slow or they become old. I, mean, I think I think read the other day the average lifespan of a greyhound in Australia is three and a half years. I mean, that's just appalling. And and, yeah. and they, they term them as wastage because they have them euthanised either at a vet. Some of them don't even make that. I mean, there's evidence that in a lot of cases that they've been hit on the head with hammers and stuff, you know, just where yep. and it's, mass graves have been uncovered in different places in Queensland. I've heard about and, being buried alive in, in fields in Gippsland. Absolutely. Kind of yeah. Yep, absolutely. And, and well, I live um, in the Geelong areas, you know, I live down on the surf coast. And Geelong has an enormous greyhound industry um, based around the the suburb of Lara. There is an extraordinary amount of breeders, um, racers and trainers in that area. And we continue to see um, licences being put forward. And and one of the things that that I've become um, quite alarmed about was that there was a a front page of the Geelong Advertiser this week that said that they they might even group together and invite um, these exiled trainers from New South Wales to bring their business to Geelong, which would Mm. be... Uh, an absolutely horrific thing. I mean, we're currently. Um, I, I have an application in. Uh, sorry, um, uh, an objection into a, a greyhound breeding facility in our own back door in on the surf coast, which is before council now. Yeah, and we're expecting to hear the outcome of that next week or the week after, I believe it is. But yes, look the the actual shutdown in New South Wales. I mean, and it sounds like a horrible thing I'm talking about now, but yet there's so much optimism um, that because of the shutdown in New South Wales and the ACT, that we can bring this to bear in every other state. There's no reason why the community can't rally behind this and let the governments of each respective state know that we don't care what they think, that they, that, that they think this is a multi-million dollar industry and brings it into their coffers, uh, to state coffers. Well, we don't care about that. We don't. We want it shut down because our basic standpoint is that these animals are being exploited, they're being killed, they have a limited lifespan, and it's a horrific existence, and we don't have the right to impose that upon them. And that's the standpoint that the community has, and that's what they want to see. Yeah. Um, and it makes people question horse racing as well. Oh, yes. Well, that is across the board, yeah. Because, yes. I mean, and, and you can... 
I, I, I got rang by the advertiser for a, a few quotes on it, and, and one of the things I said was that this is the, what you're seeing right now is the beginning of the end of the exploitative animal industries, because it is. It's the very first time that we've been able to get a government to agree that this is not just about improving standards, improving welfare, bringing trainers to heel or any of those sorts of things. Mm. This is an industry shutdown. They have recognised that this was, uh, at the very base of it, this is wrong. And so we can now extrapolate that across the board. I mean, you look at if you're looking at the racing industry, well, the very first thing that springs to mind is the ever-controversial jumps racing industry in Victoria. Well, and the, what, the, what the Minister has said, basically, about the industry can't govern itself is actually, actually what the abolitionist side of the vegan movement has been saying for ages. The animal ind- exploiting industry will not govern or or create welfare and for economic reasons it's just that that capitalism works to prevent or capitalism functions in a way that it will prevent meaningful changes for animals the often the only way is to just close it down that's because there is a profit incentive to getting the most out of your slaves your assets that's right and 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 their, their their core philosophy is to keep the industry going yeah. In one way, one shape or form, it, that, that's what they want to keep doing. And, and yeah, from the abolitionist point of view, that's it. We don't want that to continue. It's, it means death and it means exploitation and, and yeah. we want to see the end of it. You know? yeah. and, and I guess one of the things that I've always held at, at, at my heart since becoming vegan is that um, you, you have to look at things and go, well, we need to elevate all animals non-human animals, to the same status as human animals under law to enable them to have the proper protection that they do need. Because we give corporations like BHP and Chevron and those sorts of things, we give them the status of personhood under law in the courts of Australia. But we don't do that to non-human animals. Yeah. And that's something that has to change. Absolutely, yeah. Any other thoughts on the election? We have had some wins here in Victoria, some fantastic wins. Um, Kristen Bacon in the seat of Casey, Ben Wilde in the seat of Flinders and Elizabeth Johnson in the seat of Isaacs all achieved over 4% of the vote, which is, it is absolutely brilliant because it, it, it also sends a message out there in two ways. It sends a message to the public that we are serious as a party about this. We're not going away. And it sends the same message to the major parties as well that they're the community is beginning to come on board with the fact that there is a party that stands by animals and wants to put the animal issues forward and that if they want to to tap into that, then they're going to have to talk to us. They're going to have to listen to us and they're going to have to listen to their community. There's a lot of dissatisfaction with the major parties. So was that 4% of the primary vote or was that... That's right, yeah. Which, which means funding for them for in those electorates. Oh, does it? Yes, it does. Wow. It finally puts us into that bracket that the other parties have been there for so long. But it also, what it's also done is it's elevated the Animal Justice Party to being the the fourth largest party on the Australian political spectrum. Is it? Well, it's close to, yeah. That's where we want to end up. And we we believe that's where we are. We are at least in Victoria. That's where we will be, behind the Greens. So you'll have um, Liberal, Labor, Greens and then us. (laughs) <laughs> remarkable it is but incredible this is not so and it's the way it should be because there are a considerably large number of people who can care about these issues who have been ignored 
by both all the major parties. Mm -hmm. All of them. Yep. And you got huge. The biggest petition, I believe, in Australia's history is the one about live export. Mm -hmm. And and nothing's happened. The largest the largest social justice campaign, the largest campaign for change ever in Australia's well, in contemporary times has been the that of live export. Yeah. Nothing done at all. No. And 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 something done by Labour when Julia Gillard was in power. Yes. I'm sure it wouldn't happen again. No, not after after the kickback from the industry after that. And and it was huge. And and and, and they've become since that happened, the industry has galvanised itself and become more adept as well at, at um, demonising its critics yeah. in, in public. You, you've only had to look at Dr Simmons, who was the vet that was on board recently, um, who was sacked because having been commissioned to to film and then present a report on standards on board ship, they didn't like what they saw and consequently sacked her. And then when that footage was made public and her statements made public, they then demonised her and sort of said, well, she didn't know what she was talking about. Um, she was a, a loose cannon. No one understood what she was doing. You know, she went off in different directions and blah, blah, blah. They just tried to make her look like someone who didn't really know her job. In actual fact, she was the fifth vet that they have sacked, they've employed to do this job and have sacked since 1998. Really? Yes. Wow. Now, we're actually... If we're going to broadcast the talk by Yasmin Dabu, we're going to have to wrap up our little chat about the election and go to that recording. Fantastic. So um, let's actually go to that recording now. And then we've got some time after the talk to do some community announcements. I know uh, Emma's got one that she wants announcing. So let's go to that talk. This is a talk given by Yasmin Dabu, I believe CEO of the Vegan Society and also involved in politics in the UK for animal advocacy. She gave a talk at an AJP event a couple of months ago with Andrew Knight. And we'll go to that talk now. So I'm going to talk about animal politics and veganism in two parts. The first part will be about the Animal Animals Count Party, as it was called when I founded it, and then it became the Animal Welfare Party. And then the second part will be about the Vegan Society. So long before um, political parties for animals existed, there was an initiative in the 70s called the... Um, uh, and it was the... General Election Coordinating Committee for Animal Protection, and that was founded by Kim Stallwood. I don't know if you've heard of Kim Stallwood, but he and some other activists got together and said, we need to actually get animals into politics and we need to get them on a political agenda. And at the time, they got some traction and they got some, some interest from the main parties, Labour, Liberal Democrats, um, not so much the Conservatives, but they tried and they engaged with politicians. And uh, unfortunately, that fizzled out a bit. Um, initially, Kim Stallwood was quite opposed to the Animals Count Party when he established in 2006, uh, but he's kind of come round a bit. But I can understand his point of view, and I will explain that a bit later um, as to why he came to that view. Um, so, in 2006, you probably heard that the Dutch Party for the Animals, uh, which I was a part of when I was still in the Netherlands before I immigrated to the UK in 2004, two years later they won the seat. That's Esther Auerhans. She was number two, and um, they won two seats. I kind of thought this was going to happen, and in October 2006, I got some people together, and uh, another person in Wales was very interested in this kind of concept, <clears throat> and he, he said, we need to stand in the Welsh elections 2007, we need to come be quick. Uh, we had six weeks to, to get a group of people together, get a basic website together, 
Um, and then the, you know, the Dutch elections had happened, and then we launched on the 6th of December to literally 10 days after day one, two seats. Um, so we, we did that in London at the uh, um, Christmas Without Cruelty Fair, organized by MLA and the rights organization. And we had lots and lots of interest. Um, the BBC was covering it all day, which is great. Um, but of course, you get a lot of criticism too. Um, then we launched a week later in Wales, as we were planning, and I think this was in Swansea. That was a bit of a disaster, nobody turned up. <laughs> um, wasn't very well marketed, and Wales, I guess, maybe we were a little bit ahead of our time, perhaps. Um, that was Sean, so kind of co-founded together, but Sean dropped out soon after he didn't really get involved very much. Um, oh. So very early days. This is a picture you can't really see, but we've never seen. I've never showed this to anyone before. We lived in a one-bedroom flat, our studio flat in London. And soon after launch, we got some members signed up, and I thought we need to keep the members informed of what we're doing. This was pre-social uh, media time. You know, I was looking at these pictures. 2006, social media wasn't really happening yet. It was only like 2009-10 when it started to develop, and that was towards the end of my time at Amazon. So I was doing newsletters on our floor, having a cup of soup, and uh, Andrew was frequently helping with uh, stuffing in the <laughs> Poor Andrew. We, we, it was very small, and um, yeah, we, we did just try to build it up to profile these early days. And, um, then in 2007, we actually didn't contest the elections in Wales because we didn't have the right candidate, and I thought we don't want someone who's not going to do a good job, so we might as well skip a year. And we then tried to um, contest the London Assembly elections 2008, and uh, we did this photo shoot, and we had a slightly larger group of activists, and we focused our efforts a bit more on London 2008. Um, of course, you don't get very far with the electoral system in the UK. I think we had almost 1% of the vote, which wasn't too bad on a shoestring budget. Um, but our real hopes were for 2009, the European elections, because that's to some extent proportional representation. Um, Unfortunately, there's still 10 constituencies in, um, in the whole of the UK, so one constituency still needs to get 9 or 10% of the vote in order to get in. But it's a bit more attainable than the general election, for example. So we're raising funds here, uh, had a very sponsored walk, um, doing silly things. Again, we only had a small group of people. But the more you know people, so some of them are becoming kind of more major donors, and uh, you build that up. But as I said, it was pre kind of social media time. Yeah, so we tried to get some more videos out there and I think that really helped a bit in, in getting some um, at attention. And this person was a famous actor from EastEnders, so he, his voice was known and his personality was known. So we um, exploited that a bit. Then, okay, so we, we actually got, oh, the problem with the EU, EU elections actually, <coughs> was that we were going to stand in London, but the Green Party wasn't happy. So they negotiated with us, can you please stand in another region? So we stood in the eastern region of the um, country, and we had no activists there. So we had to go from London to the eastern region all the time. And uh, we didn't know the, the area very well. <clears throat> it was more kind of rural, so it, was, it wasn't great. And the green candidate there wasn't happy either. He, he was saying, oh, I'm vegan, I'm an animal rights person. Uh, why are you doing this to us? So, well, sorry, um, this is democracy, and we've got another... <laughs> political party and if you're so vegan and so, so into animal rights, why isn't that on your website or in your manifesto? It was completely hidden. Um, so we, we thought, okay, we're just going to stick with our plan now. We've already moved out of London for, for them. Um, and of course, you know, we, we got 13,000 votes, which is, 
15.8% is out of vote, and on a tiny shoestring budget, so again, we were quite happy with that. But the next time, so well, we're definitely going to stand in London next time, because it makes much more sense. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment. So the year later, 2010, general elections, that we knew there was no hope, basically, because um, of the, um, the system, the electoral system, the first past the post, doesn't allow us to, to get in any, anywhere near what it should be. And we made a slightly strategic mistake in the sense that we stood in an area with quite a popular MP, a uh, Labour MP, and she had a quite strong profile, which uh, didn't help. Um, we were hoping that the, that by, you know, I think you were saying that uh, you shifted some seats from Lib Dems to Green. We were hoping that we could switch it from Labour to Lib Dems because the Lib Dems candidate there was a bit more animal friendly and environmentally friendly, but that kind of backfired unfortunately. Um, but the vision, we had, uh, we, we developed manifestos for each election, but of course you, you draw on the same <laughs> principles. So treating people, animals and the environment with respect, um, holding the destruction of the environment, sorry, um, animals can represent a shift in political thinking. Um, we wanted to rethink all our policies, redirect resources away from environmentally uh, unsustainable and, and, and animal unfriendly practices towards more animal friendly practices and rewarding good behaviour. So we had policies that this was the theme basically that didn't only apply to all the animal topics but also the non-animal topics. Um, so the full manifesto is available on the website. It's still there if you're interested. In 2011, we had the alternative vote referendum. I don't know if you've heard about that, but there was this referendum to actually improve the uh, yeah to, to improve the voting system. Not that alternative voting is ideal, in my opinion, it should be true proportional representation, but at least it was a step in the right direction. So we were backing that fully. We had a campaign, and um, I wrote. I think I wrote the um, the case for, and and she kind of presented it, but it was lost. And then she put together a, a list connection, I don't know if that's possible here in Australia, but with a Labour candidate in, in Wales. And he fully kind of endorsed the, the uh, Animal Scan Party and we endorsed him. Strange how that works, but it's possible. And he was hoping to be elected in Wales and then we would kind of merge the policies of the two parties. And that didn't happen, but again it raised the profile in Wales. Um, in that year also we we. Throughout that time, we did lots and lots of other things that didn't have to do with elections per se. Uh, we put in uh, responses to consultations, um, we went to meetings, um, and we met with other MPs. And in 2011, Andrew put together a response to the transposition of the European Directive on Animal Experiments into the UK law. Um, and in that year, they joined the uh, All Party Group for Animal Welfare, which is a cross-party group of um, politicians and NGOs coming together discussing animal welfare issues in Parliament. And Vanessa decided we need to focus on London because we're working towards the next European election, so that's what we're going to do, and that's where most of our resources are. Finally, on this last slide on the uh, Animal Welfare Party, in 2014 the EU elections happened again. Um, over 23,000 votes were won. Um, Vanessa was a bit disappointed, but I, I think it's a great uh, achievement. And again, you, you just have so much competition uh, around you, and you just don't get the same airtime as, uh, as the other big parties. It's very, very biased in the UK. So I think it's a great achievement. But, um, in, I, did I stand in that election? Uh, no, I wasn't allowed to, because 
by then I was the CEO of the Green Society, so I, I have to be politically neutral, but I contributed to the manifesto behind the scenes. So. There were also mayoral elections in one particular area within London, and that, again, raised the profile. And the Vanessa hired a boss. She's got all the kind of images. If you look on the website, you can see that she's hired open-top buses and done tours around London, which is great. And then for this year there are plans, but I don't think they're firm candidates yet for the Welsh and Scottish elections and possibly London Assembly elections again. Uh, she asked whether I would stand for the London mayoral elections and I said, I'm not eligible. Um, you need to live in London or work in London or have that connection. Um, and there are about 10 other candidates as well. And again, the, the focus is completely on Labour and Conservative. So it's very difficult. I think for that kind of money, £10,000 just to stand and then also to, another 10000 to campaign, uh, I think probably could be spent better, you know, if you know you have absolutely zero chance of getting anywhere. That's my personal opinion now, but I don't want to judge uh, Vanessa in any way. I think the key thing is without proportional representation, it's, it's just not going to be looking good in the UK, unfortunately. But raising the profile, keeping pressure up on other parties is still useful. Hi, you're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR and we've been listening to a talk given a couple of months ago by Yasmin Dabu, um, a talk sponsored by the Animal Justice Party and it was a couple of months ago and unfortunately I missed that one. I was actually in Geelong at another meeting. I'd really love to have heard it and I've been listening to it very intently. Uh, we have another part of that coming up very shortly um, but um, I've been sitting here listening to um, a bit of a talk we're going on about some interesting news events which we will come up with shortly. And we'll head back to Yasmin Dabu right now. So going to the Vegan Society, I joined in September 2011 and soon after I started I had to look at uh, the finances and what people were doing and I thought mm, some improvement uh, can be made here. Uh, we had 13 members of staff at the time and in the budget that I saw was uh, a figure, for example, for legacies, and I said, what's this figure doing in the budget? Do you have any firm leads for, for legacies? And I said, no, this is the average from the last five years, 60% of that. So, well, it doesn't work like that, you know. You, you need to have firm leads, um, or else you're, you're kind of gambling in terms of your income. And unfortunately, as if it was a um, self-fulfilling prophecy, we almost didn't get any legacies that year, for thousand pounds or something like that. So it, we ended up with a big loss. And I said to the board, I'm really concerned, uh, we need to change because the vegan site was just doing kind of information provision, um, the Animal Free Shopper, I'll tell you a bit more about that, the magazine, education talks in schools, um, some advocacy for vulnerable vegans in, in situations where they can kind of advocate for themselves. We had a pledge scheme and then uh, making history of conducted and trademark. But I thought that you know, this wasn't really inspiring enough for supporters and members to get involved and give more and, and build the membership. The membership was stagnating, and I said, we need to do more projects and campaigns. Um, the Animal Free Shopper was great in early days, when, uh, before, again, before internet became a, a, a real phenomenon in, in social media. People needed to know where to find vegan products, and it was, it was really useful. But we, we shot ourselves in the foot by... Uh, two ways. One is we had the trademark and trying to register products uh, with the trademark and then listing other companies and products for free in the Animal Free Shopper. There was a bit of a clash and some of the companies who registered their products with us said, uh, why are you listing them for free? And there was something to be said for that. Because not just uh, for the, uh, the income side of things, but also the fact that for the trademark we kind of thoroughly check ingredients. It's a really um, meticulous process. 
and we can actually vouch for that whereas the products in the end of the shop are self declared and you can't really vouch for that as much. Um, and secondly, it took ages to compile and there were two information officers working on that and phoning all the companies and the supermarkets and everything. It was useful, but then by the time it came out a year or two later, things had got out of date already and things now change so quickly, it's, it's just not sensible to have a, a printed resource. So we had to drop that and we had to kind of really rethink our approach. Um, the education, again, it's the animal aid that I mentioned before, animal rights organisation, go into schools and say, we want to talk about animal protection. And schools say, yeah, come in, we, we want to hear about animal protection. And then, of course, they, once they're in, they talk about veganism. And, but if you're called a vegan society, teachers and parents think it's a bit uh, indoctrination when you come in. So um, we find, find it a bit difficult to get into schools to some extent. And I said, well, it is important and passionate about education, but this is not the way to do it. We need to do educational campaigns. Um, we need to actually work with the Ministry of Education. It's a long-term project, and um, the kind of talks from here to, you know, are just drops in the ocean, basically. Um, so, yeah, I had to really rethink the strategy. Um, so in 2012, I developed with the staff a new organisational logical model. It sounds a bit dry, but anyway, um, new plan of how we were going to work, uh, lots more um, uh, projects and campaigns, policy, and... Um, yeah, in that year we had the horsemeat scandal um, in January, which provided us with a PR opportunity, and we, we actually didn't have much of PR profile at all um, when, when I first started. <coughs> and we had a new kind of a temporary PR manager coming in and helping us with that and building up that profile in 2013. We have new key staff and um, positions of um, you know, senior management, uh, head of communication, public policy and research, and she revolutionized the organization. <clears throat> she looked at our brand and thought this is you know, not good because it looks a bit outdated and uh, unfortunately the, the trustees meant well in 2000 I, think, I can't remember what day uh, what year that was but they said to groups around the world use our logo you know you can use the sunflower and then put your, your own organization name around it and you create some form of harmony but our original identity had lost in that process and uh, we are the vegan society 70 years old and we wanted to establish ourselves as the vegan society. So we, we looked at rebranding, uh, new visual identity, we did research and development. We started working on a new website and a new membership database. Um, and we started seeing some return already. Some members came up and joined and it, it started increasing. So we saw a bit of a turnaround um, and trademarks started to increase as well. So very briefly, I won't go into too much detail, but the vision world in which humans do not exploit other animals. The mission is a bit long-winded, but um, we've just abbreviated to promoting veganism. And I think it is useful to say, by means of meaningful, peaceful and factual dialogue with individuals, organizations, companies, the, the how, because a lot of organizations have different ways of achieving it, and we're not judging that, but um, we want to be factual and and uh, have meaningful dialogue with people and, and, and keep the door open. That's something that was always lost to the vegan side. When it first started, they said we keep the door ajar to those who are not yet vegan, who, who are interested. Um, whereas, I don't know if it's the same kind of debate here in Australia, but some of the abolitionist approach is, is not like that. It's uh, very much, if you're not vegan now, you, you know, you're horrible. And uh, we didn't want to be like that because you can't really engage with people. So. Um, so then we develop uh, six strategic outcomes. So all our works that we do are, are kind of attached to those six strategic outcomes. Um, I'll briefly run through them. So the first is policy. 
and decision makers will make sure that labeling is um, uh, correct, that regulations and, and uh, legislation relevant to vegans um, is adhered to. So for example, in the UK we've got the Equality Act, and veganism is a um, uh, protected belief under the Equality Act, but it's not always understood and implemented as such, so this is something we constantly work on. Um, the second one is really important. We will raise awareness about all the animal issues um, and, and um, make people more aware about animal cruelty. The third one is the same, raising awareness about the environment, so all the kind of main reasons for being vegan. And the third one, sorry, fourth, is raising awareness about human justice issues. And in 2013, we joined a, a massive UK campaign called the IF campaign, What If? And that was uh, all development organisations coming together, over 200 I think, to challenge um, the governments around the world to, to look at tax redirection, tax evasion, um, and what, what could happen with their money if you know, we could feed the world. And we said, well, what if you also spend the money properly to actually invest in plant-based agriculture? And one of those points was actually picked up and used in, the, in their material on um, uh, human justice and, and feeding the planet. And if we hadn't been part of that, uh, I don't know if it would actually have been there. So a lot of people are saying, why are you part of this development campaign? International development is not their area. So, well, it is. There are links there. And it, it's good to, to liaise with all those organizations. The fifth one is to focus on uh, making sure that people can live vegan well and stay well, stay healthy, and uh, choose vegan products and that the uh, vegan products increase. And the last one is a, a strong worldwide organization, a component proactive in addressing vegan issues. So um, we work with other organizations, both in the UK and, and abroad, and uh, try to really support one another. <coughs> so 2014, just um, we launched a new website in April, which was great, um, much, much, much better. The last one was just really outdated as soon as it launched in 2009, and we couldn't work with it. It wasn't a user-friendly system. Um, then we launched a new campaign, Love Vegan campaign, I'll come back to that uh, in a moment. And we started seeing more volunteers coming to us and coming to the office, wanting to volunteer. We had internship students. It was great. It really made a massive difference. Membership started to really increase a lot. Um, over the last three and a half years, we've increased by about 50, 60% membership. So it's, it's finally started to happen. And we again started to get more media and PR, uh, we, and we had a, a part-time person, but it, it made a big difference, and trademark started to increase. So the Love Vegan campaign was an idea by Ruth, who um, did the rebrand. So the rebrand happened around, well, we launched it in April with a new website. There was the new logo there, the Vegan Society charity logo. The trademark logo remained the same. Um, but of course, it was more than the charity logo. We, we used uh, language and images, we had this whole rebrand uh, structure. And at the time, some members weren't so happy with it. They said, Oh, what happened to your logo? I don't like it. And some grumbling, What is that? They said a crown. And what is it? Yeah, they were just kind of being, being different holes. But um, uh, most people did like it actually. And then the next thing that happened quite quickly after that was at the end of April, the La Vegan campaign. A lot of people confused that. It was different campaign had nothing to do with the rebrand but that, that's what they saw as the rebrand and what we were trying to achieve here was to reach out to all those who are not yet vegan and to say you don't have to miss out you know you can have lipstick ice cream um, vegan running shoes 
and uh, you don't have to be vegan to have vegan lipstick or vegan ice cream. But a lot of people said, oh, the vegan society is sold out and we're now no longer vegan anymore. And they said, you don't have to be vegan, that's what they're saying. It's completely misinterpreting the, um, the campaign, which was really frustrating. Um, but overwhelmingly, we got good, good feedback, but there was this, this small group of really negative people. And then, unfortunately, that coincided with um, an article in the media that was full of uh, mistakes. The, the journalists hadn't really paid attention at all during the, the, the radio, the telephone interview. And she had said things that, that had nothing to do with this campaign and that we used research uh, to inform this, whereas that research had already been published five years before and had nothing to do with this. And the authors were really upset. So those two things coincided, unfortunately, and they really grew. And then um, the person who was doing social media at the time started defending himself as if he was a, a person and not actually professionally acting on behalf of the vegan society. So it caused a massive, massive storm in the end of June, uh, early July 2014. And I was on holiday that, that weekend I just left to go to uh, the Caribbean where Andrew was living at the time. And I had to kind of manage the, the situation from abroad. It was really difficult. Um, so yeah, it, it did cause a bit of damage actually, but um, and some people had to go and, uh, and, and resign. So it, was, it wasn't a difficult summer, I have to say. But yeah, these things happen. So we've learned you know, the better planning, better communication, all that. We continued to increase membership, everything was doing really well. We had a new um, social media person and she was doing great. Um, of course we had the 70th anniversary. We had been planning for about two years but nothing really came off the ground. I was a bit dis disappointed actually in the team that had not materialised. So it's a bit last minute. What we did was a vegan football match um, for Green Rovers. It's a small club, it's not top five. But, um, they are owned by Ecotricity, which is a green um, electricity company in the UK. And the, the CEO there, Vegan, has tried to make that club vegan, which is the first in the UK. And uh, they were very keen to host our <coughs> kind of anniversary there. And we had uh, a massive uh, cake, vegan cake, which was a big football and players around it, which was really nice. Uh, we had one of the first top flight football um, um, footballers Neil Robinson to, to speak there as well and yeah it was a great day, yeah, it was something different you know and, and it wouldn't necessarily match veganism with football, we wanted to do something different so that was really good, we were very lucky with legacies that year and we had a £100,000 surplus for that year 18 month period um, so I discussed with the trustees, I said what we need to do now is actually invest in new staff members get some project and campaigns set up and then we can actually you won't get the return immediately, you'll get that after a year or two years and uh, once the campaign's probably running. So we did that. Um, quickly, growth in trademark. I think I'm going off for five minutes. Growth in trademark. Um, in 2010, that's what the store looks like. It's not so easy to see, but it looks a bit cluttered. At least there were some examples of vegan products there, some leaflets. But um, George Gill, who came on board in 2009, he completely revolutionized, revolutionized the trademark. He organized the Vegan Pavilion for the first time in 2012 at the Natural Organic Product Show. And in 2015, we had uh, about 30 um, companies who joined in, and they, they just absolutely love it. These companies, they, they feel like they're part of a family. And it's not just, because it used to be, okay, you, you register your products, and it's one-way communication, pay the fee, and that's it. But now we're doing so much more for the companies. It's Judy here from Rabbit Runaway Orphanage. We're Victoria's first and only no-kill pet rabbit rescue. 
We're very, very busy out here. We have um, a lot of special needs rabbits that we take in and look after all of their vet care. And we have um, a fundraising event on Saturday week, the 16th of July, at the Collingwood Town Hall. And it's a fundraiser for these particular rabbits that need um, a lot of vet care and health care. We have something like 93 special needs rabbits under our care at the moment. And because we're no kill, if the bunnies can live happy, healthy lives, we support them um, through that period and find permanent foster homes for them. This particular trivia night, we've got the theme of bunnies in Bollywood. So it's an Indian-style evening, and we introduce the bright colours of India and the glamour of Bollywood. And we have um, lovely Indian entrees. We have um, a display of Bollywood dancing. We're going to have silent and live auctions, lots of, um, lots of gifts, um, raffles. People don't have to be bunny savvy to come. It's a general trivia, um, but it's to raise money for our rabbits here. And how much are the tickets? The tickets are $40 each. And it starts at 6.30 uh, for a 7 o'clock, sorry, um, 6.30 for a 7 o'clock start. And it goes till about 11.30. We'd love to see you all there. And do we have to wear our Bollywood get-up? It would be wonderful if you did have Bollywood get-up. Um, people can dress up. That would be wonderful. We're certainly all dressing up. Um, but a lot of people will just be in their bright colours and, and glamorous jewellery and things for Bollywood theme. But we'd love to see as many people dress up as, as they'd like to on the evening. Sounds like a very nice way to warm up, a toasty evening, a colourful one. And that is in Collingwood, is that right? That's right. It's at the Collingwood Town Hall in Hoddle Street. Uh, tickets are still available. Uh, you do need to book because um, the, the tickets are selling fast, but we'd love to see people there if they would like to support the bunnies. It's so much more professional. It's really good. As I mentioned, when George started, you can see it massively increased the trademark. That was an 18-month period, uh, £450,000. But last year, 12-month period, we had £430,000. So it is still increasing and more and more production, particularly in Europe. But... Um, We've got the trademark registered here in Australia, India, uh, US, Canada and uh, Europe. So it's still very much a trend. As I mentioned, we increased the, the staff last year. So we now have 26 members of staff. We're doing more campaigns and um, I'm mentioning three. First is the anti-badger anti call. Um, a lot of the groups came together last year and said we need to uh, focus on the uh, badger call. And we said, well, from the vegan society's perspective, what we want to say is um, don't even think about you know, vaccination or anything. We need to actually not drink milk and um, make that link. And that, that, that was our kind of input. And it was great. Um, we had, uh, the head of communications um, is very visual. So he, he drew a kind of um, yeah, a picture of a calf and two badgers. And we had lots of T-shirts made and placards and things. It looked like it was our demonstration. It wasn't we, which is one of the, the many organisations. Um, then there were general elections, as I said, in the last talk, uh, last uh, bit. Um, and what we did was send a questionnaire to lots of uh, candidates and parties to find out about the animal welfare policies, vegan policies, and, and then put them on the website and call on our supporters to vote for the most kind of vegan candidate, as, if there is such a thing. But again, just to, to show that there is... You know, pressure, there, are, there is concern and again the vegan side didn't used to do these things, they weren't politically engaged at all before I came on board 
So Catering for All, that's a project that had, had been going but had been dying down a bit and it's been uh, reinvigorated. Uh, this means that we're now organising workshops for hospitals and um, dietitians, nurses, uh, caterers, um, GPs, other staff members from the hospital to learn about vegan catering and that it's not just for vegans but it's suitable for all. We know this all but we, we do this workshop and it, yeah, we've done two now so far which has gone quite well. Grow Green Report. Now this was completely new for us. Uh, inside we had never done anything like this. So this is Grow Green campaign. We, we wanted to uh, one of the actual manifesto issues from animals count to redirect subsidies from the animal farming uh, industry to the plant-based industry is something that we've now kind of picked up and run with at the vegan society. So this report looks at the contribution of livestock farming on the environment and, um, and we say that the government should actually redirect some subsidies and, and incentivize this production of uh, plant protein crops in the UK for the environment, for people's health and for animals of course and uh, this has been really well received so what we did was we launched that at the Labour conference party um, in September and we'd never been at a Labour party conference um, but they, they responded very well and they, they were very interested in it we didn't get any negative comments so again it's a yeah, sign of the changing times I think so we had also media coverage because last year in January we hired a new media manager and he's really eager, Jimmy, he's great, he just loves it and takes any opportunity. And um, where we had perhaps two or three media pieces a month, we now have 30 to 40, so that's, that's absolutely fantastic. We have about two radio interviews a month. Uh, TV, not so much, it's more difficult, but we get online mentions everywhere, we do blogs. Um, he's now also, I'm a Huffington Post blogger, he's now a Huffington Post blogger. Um, yeah, we, we just grab any opportunity that we can. Um, so we, we've done lots of UK events, international events. That takes a lot of time, to, I have to say. We go to about 20 events a year, so that's yeah, a lot of staff time and volunteers help. They love to help, which is great. But, um, we had some major IT issues last year. We won't bore you with the details, internet and long story. Um, we moved the, the trademark team to another office, Branson Court, just a few uh, blocks away. And uh, that was a bit of a disaster. We had to move them back. and then. Recently we, we moved them again just after Christmas and now they're, they're sorted, but then that was a bit of a, an issue. And um, we actually now have a lot more members of staff working from home, so it's not so important anymore, but it was too cramped in office that we owned, so we had to take on new premises. Um, and we had an AGM last year with um, about nine new trustees coming in, and unfortunately there are some different visions between the trustees and the staff, not just me. They like to paint it just being me but that's not the case last slide I believe yeah okay so current projects um, a lot of journalists ask us all the time how many vegans are there in the UK and we we're ashamed to say actually um, we we don't know uh, so we've commissioned Ipsos Mori to do a survey and uh, the results will be public very soon hopefully in April uh, so that will be exciting hopefully it won't be 160,000 <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be great would it <laughs> but uh, we'll see yeah, hopefully it will be better. Vegan on High Street, very briefly, um, new campaign. We're trying to get a vegan option in every kind of food-to-go store in the High Street. And uh, that's, that's something that we're working on at the moment. That it's slightly kind of behind-the-scenes work, not really public, unless they are really uncooperative 
and uh, not interested, then we're going to ramp up the pressure with um, public support. EU vegan labelling, um, as I speak, or I think last week, um, amended policy officer went to Brussels to meet with um, a lobby group there. They're talking about European definition of um, vegan and vegetarian food. And at the moment it's still voluntary information, but we're trying to get um, an agreed definition. So that, that's really exciting because that will really set the scene. Hospital catering, I've already mentioned that. This year we're hopefully going to automate some of the trademark processes to make it more efficient. And we might we applied for an Erasmus Plus project uh, funding, 50,000 euros. We're hoping that to hear next month whether we've been awarded that money or not. That would actually go to staff going to other organisations and learn about topics. So it's, it's about um, continuous professional development, so to speak, but then um, we hopefully will use some of the money to, you know, for other purposes. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.